0: to that music means it's another boiler extra podcast uh, coming at you through SoundCloud, jconline.com Mike Carman, cover Purdue Sports for the Journal and Courier newspaper and jconline.com, we're all one of the same, one big happy family, Uh, thought to put together uh, a potter uh, heading into this next week, Uh, I'll be on furlough but a lot happened uh, this past week, uh, regarding uh, Purdue uh, stuff, Purdue athletics, a lot of a lot of things uh, came about. Uh, to me, the most significant uh, news from from the week was the uh, was kind of two things involving football. Number one was getting a quarterback commitment from Sam Jackson from uh, Naperville Central uh, in Illinois, uh, a dual threat quarterback. Uh, seems a little undersized from what Jeff Brom has uh, normally recruited from a quarterback situation, but it, it appears that Jackson's skill set uh, is is quite good. Uh, when you when you look at the numbers and you look at some of the tape that has been uh, out there on him, uh, he he gives you know he he's kind of got the full package there, and you know he can. He can run. Uh, he's got a strong arm. Coach, the high school coach, says he can throw at seventy yards. Uh, but his ability to move uh, in and around the pocket uh, and make some plays, not only with his feet but on the run, uh, is a direction that Jeff Rom has wanted to go the last few years. If you remember uh, his first year recruiting quarterbacks uh, at Purdue, you know Jack Plummer, more of a drop back pro style type of quarterback uh, but as Jack played last year uh, Jeff talked about being able to use his feet in in certain situations and it's not always to run it's to it's to escape uh, uh, pressure and get outside the pocket and make plays while you're on the run with your arm and uh, Jeff has kind of shifted I think he's shifted his Uh, recruiting philosophy from a quarterback standpoint to more of the dual threat. Remember, Purdue is getting a graduate transfer from UCLA, Austin Burton. Um, Whether he's a true, true dual threat, uh, we don't know for sure because he he has played only a limited number of games. He made one start at UCLA. And in that game, you could see him use his legs probably the way that Jeff Brom uh, envisions his offense now taking – Uh, another step forward and there's probably just more dual threat quarterbacks out there to recruit uh compared to just uh your pro style drop back quarterback that that you know jeff jeff did some when he was when he when he played in high school and played in college Uh, but he also moved around he was athletic enough to make some plays uh with his feet so it wasn't a surprise that Purdue got a dual-threat quarterback. Maybe the surprise was who they got because, as you know, uh, they were recruiting heavily uh, Donovan McCulley from uh, Lawrence North who had Purdue in his final five. McCulley, the day after Sam Jackson uh, announced he was coming to Purdue after decommitting from Minnesota, McCulley announced his commitment to, to Indiana. So these two guys are going to be compared the next – uh, three, four, five years, depending on how long both of them stay in the programs, uh, and you know who got the better one and who is going to have the better career. Um, obviously, there's a lot that Purdue liked in Sam Jackson to uh, to to get away from Macaulay. Now, how it all played out, you don't know. I think you know Purdue obviously was heavily involved in McCauley from the start. And I, you know, I think they were involved in Jackson, but he had committed to Minnesota and recommitted to Minnesota after decommitting, uh, and and Purdue stayed with it. And Brian Brom was the lead recruiter in that. So those two guys are gonna get are, are gonna get compared a lot uh, now. Whether they play next year uh, in twenty twenty one or they're both gonna to redshirt or wait, uh, kind of. You know, we'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, you know, everybody wants early playing time. Everybody goes to a program looking to play early. You know, when Jackson gets here, assuming the roster stays intact, Purdue he'll be one of seven quarterbacks on the roster. Now, I don't I don't anticipate that roster staying intact. I think you're going to see uh, some changes uh, at the quarterback position uh, coming up. Austin Burton has two years of eligibility at Purdue. Uh, and he'll be in a competition this year with Plummer and Aiden O'Connell, uh, to see who gets the playing time. Won't be surprised if Purdue uses, uh, multiple quarterbacks during the 2020 season, uh, similar to what happened, uh, Jeff's first year here where he went back and forth between David Blau and Elijah Sindelar, uh trying to ride the hot hand, trying to find the guy that is playing the best right now. And as we saw last year, injuries uh, play a key role in that because Purdue lost Elijah Sindelar, then they lost Jack Plummer, and then O'Connell came in and played during the month of uh, November. So you can have a lot of quarterbacks. You need a lot of quarterbacks to kind of protect yourself. But uh, as we get through the end, you know, this is a long way off. As we get through the 2020 season – However, shape that however shape that takes, whether we get a full season or not, um, I, I would expect some changes uh, f- from the quarterback standpoint uh, with Purdue, uh, just because uh, th- that's a lot. You've got a lot of guys that are going to compete and try to play, and I, I can again I can see some changes there coming up. Uh, what happens? Not all, not all seven of those guys are on scholarship, and I, you know that's probably important to note. You know, Jack Albers is not a scholarship player, but he, he's there on the roster. He was there in the spring, kind of to help Purdue uh, manage the quarterback situation because it didn't have a lot of depth there. And, and you can go through each guy and say whether this guy is going to play or or not. I mean, I, I think it's pretty clear going into this year that uh, Purdue going to focus on three quarterbacks, and that would be. Uh, Plummer O'Connell, and then how quickly Austin Burton can can pick up things. Uh, he's due on campus in July after graduating from UCLA. I'm sure he, you know he's been studying, he's been looking at film, but now he has to get out there and do it. And this is a different off season than what we've had in the past because of the virus. And uh, in July, the the coaches are going to be able to work with everybody for. For you know, for some period of time until uh, training camp starts uh, in August. And the other significant piece and it, you know probably for the immediate future of this team, uh, was probably the the top news item of the week was uh, Purdue getting a transfer cornerback uh, from Iowa DJ Johnson who played at Indianapolis North Central. Now, uh, he's going to transfer here. He does have three years of eligibility, but Purdue's going to submit a waiver uh, to try to get him uh, eligible immediately, and they feel like they have a good case. Uh, if you've paid attention to the news on what's going on in Iowa's football program and the, the concerns about the strength and conditioning coach, Chris Doyle, and uh, all, all the uh, circumstances that are going around the program, uh, regarding uh, racial inequalities and the way players are treated. Uh, you, know, you know, I think Purdue will state that case that, that Johnson was affected uh, by that. Uh, he gets a chance to move closer to home. Uh, the NCAA has been more lenient uh, in, in their waivers. Uh, and, you know, we're in that era now where student athletes uh, have a bigger voice uh, and a bigger Bigger opportunity to say stuff and be more visible, and I, I would be surprised if if the waiver wasn't granted. And if it is, it really adds to the depth and the talent level uh, of the secondary. And that secondary has undergone a lot of changes uh, since the end of last year. Uh, and you would expect DJ Johnson to be a major factor uh, at the at the cornerback position. Now, if you go back to his high school career at Indianapolis North Central, um, you know, he's a guy I thought that if Jeff Brom had come a year earlier uh, or DJ Johnson's career, you know, he wasn't where he was at in his, his career. I think Purdue would have had a much better shot of, of getting this kid out of high school. But, you know, I'm sure most of you are aware, Iowa does a very good job of recruiting the Indianapolis area, and they've done that for several years. And, uh, you know, I've written and I've said that in order for Purdue really to take a big step in the Big Ten West, it needs to win recruiting battles with Iowa and Indianapolis. You know, Purdue needs to keep those players uh, in state, at home. It's been tough. It's been a struggle. Uh, I think Brahman and his staff have made up a lot of ground uh, in the Indianapolis area. But, you know, that that's one thing, in my opinion, where Purdue really needs to keep Iowa, you know, and Indiana too. Indiana needs to keep Iowa out of the state of Indiana, especially the Indianapolis metro area, uh, where you're dealing with uh, the biggest high schools in the state at North Central and Ben Davis, uh, Carmel. You know, you go right down the list. Avon, Brownsburg, the whole the whole deal. Uh, but Iowa's, Iowa's had a really... Uh, really a lot of success recruiting Indianapolis and, and, and for Purdue to, to overtake them in the Big Ten standings and, you know, beat them on a consistent basis. And they've, they've done a good job since Brahma has come here of, of competing against Iowa and beating Iowa. Then, you know, but you have to win those recruiting battles and you have to, uh, you know, to, to get a leg up in that situation. Now, maybe the situation at Iowa will help uh, Purdue and maybe other programs that are trying to, to, to make inroads in Indianapolis, but, you know, this is not a, you know, D.J. Johnson, not a recruiting type of situation a little bit, but more, uh, you know, I do think that Purdue would have played a bigger role if the timing had worked out better when he left high school. But bottom line is he's now going to be at Purdue, and if they can get him eligible you know, that just adds, you know, a, a weakness on the defense as we left the end of last year, and the secondary was not a strength. And some of that has to do with the lack of pressure that Purdue is getting up front. Uh, it all goes hand in hand. But, you know, when when we left last year, you were looking at the secondary that was still undersized. Uh, Kenneth Major and Diedrich Mac- Mackey played most of the time at cornerback. They're strong kids, they're physical, but they're, they're undersized when you're going up against Big Ten receivers and bigger Big Ten receivers that most of the teams have. Well, since then, Kenneth Major has left. He went in the, in the, in the transfer portal. He's at Middle Tennessee. Uh, Purdue has added D.J. Johnson, which is a uh, should be a, a, a nice upgrade. Corey Trice is still around. He's a guy that looks the part, played the part well last year once he made the move from safety. Uh, Two to cornerback, as you remember, I had a couple picks in the Maryland game, one uh, one of them for a pick six. He would seem to be a guy that um, has a spot there. You know, Mackey does have experience, uh, and he's a guy that, that they're going to be counting on uh, to to play to play a big role this year uh, for Purdue. Uh, but you know, I, I think the the the, the corner. Cornerback position in particular has, you know, has upgraded its talent level and its skill level uh, just in the off season, and they've gotten longer there, uh, they've gotten more athletic, uh, and it really should benefit them uh, as they as they get through um, as they get through this season, or at least they start this season. I mean, you, you should feel good about the secondary position starting the year, assuming that uh, Johnson uh, gets a chance to play in, in the 2020 year and, and how that all is going to work uh, with uh, Bob Diaco's defense and the 3-4, you know, how much 3-4 is being played type of thing. Uh, you know, also, you know, it's something that, that, that will get, you know, talked about and watched uh, a lot. But, you know, you have Johnson now there, you have Corey Trice, as we mentioned, Dietrich Mackey, Javante Howard is another guy, junior college transfer who comes highly, highly recruited uh, out of the JUCO market. Um, so you've got, um, you, as of right now, you, you've got a lot of, uh, uh, you've got a lot of options and you have depth as well. Because, uh, you know, you just look at the four guys talked about, Johnson, Trice, Mackey, and Howard. That's, that's four guys that you can rotate in on a, on a regular basis. And you still have Simeon Smiley who can play safety and, um, and cornerback also play the nickelback. Uh, But then overall in the secondary Purdue has also added, you know, Tyler Coyle, a graduate transfer from Connecticut. And he, you know, he goes along with Cam Allen, Marvin Grant, Brennan Thieneman, and then Smiley can also play safety. So, you know, I, I really think Purdue has upgraded its uh, its secondary. Um, you know, they still have to go out and perform and, and do what needs to be done. But you know, this is a to me this is a completely different secondary than than what what we saw at the end of last year. uh it it, it can be a strength, but it's also going to be dictated on what happens up front with Lorenzo Neal if he's healthy, George Karloftis what he's. What he's going to do in year two, uh, the other end spot, and of course, you know, as we get a little bit deeper into summer, we'll start talking about uh, a little bit more. But the linebacking group is also one that uh, you know, will be interesting to watch because if you're playing a three-four, you're putting more linebackers out there. As you know, Jalen Graham has moved from the secondary to an outside linebacker spot. At least that's what we saw in spring practice. We'll see if that's still the case once they they get back going in training camp. Uh, in August, so you know, I think the addition of uh, of uh, DJ Johnson, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a significant deal. Uh, it really is. It can really, and again, if he can get eligible, I really think that ups the ups the chances of Purdue uh, Purdue secondary becoming a, a major strength uh, on the defensive side. The other thing that happened this week is we got a little bit more details from uh, AD Mike Wabinski about how the reduced capacity at ross Aid Stadium might work. And again, uh, the situation with the virus and what's going to happen with college football and college athletics in general, uh, it changes on a daily basis. So what is said today, uh, what you read today, what you hear today may not be necessarily true in three months when Purdue plays a home game. It could be 25% capacity. It could be 50% capacity. Um, It might be full capacity for all I know. (laughs) So... Uh, you, you just kind of have to roll with the with what's going on today. But as we sit here today, and this is Sunday, June fourteenth, you know the Purdue's benchmark is twenty five percent capacity. But I, I think they expect to go more than that. They hope to go more than that, probably closer to fifty uh, percent. You know, if you uh, put their feet on the fire today, I think they're probably banking on closer to fifty percent. And I think that for the most part, that would satisfy your season ticket base and your students and get everybody in the stadium uh, that you want in the stadium. And, you know, Bobinski told me earlier in the week that the priority for, for for fans getting in are those season ticket holders, those willing to make a, a long-term commitment, at least for the year, uh, of getting to the game and along with students. Now, how many students uh, can get in um, – I would hope that, you know, if if they, if Purdue can get to 50% capacity, then I would hope they would get as many students as they can in. Uh, And if you've got to, you know, keep a few season ticket holders out, you know, so be it. You know, I, the last time did one of these uh, podcasts, uh, you know, I thought students should be the priority the main priority uh, however many students want to get in, should be allowed in. Now they Purdue released some numbers last week. Uh, I think it was sixty three hundred student tickets that had been sold. Last year, they had close to eleven thousand. Uh, so I mean, if you're trying to do some math here, uh, and if you're at fifty percent capacity, you're probably looking uh, total attendance in the in the building uh, around twenty seven, twenty eight thousand. Uh, And if you have 26,000 season tickets there, you know, you have to make, you're going to have to make some decisions, but, you know, I think 50% capacity, you know, maybe Purdue can get to 30,000, just over 50%. And that way uh, you got an opportunity to get more people in. But I, you know, I think students should be the first priority. You know, if 10,000 students want to come, I think 10,000 students should come. And then you, you work around the, Uh, the season ticket uh, situation uh, from there. And, you know, uh, Bobinski said that they may ask season ticket holders, let's say that traditionally buy eight tickets a year. Maybe they buy six or four this time, or or those that have, you know, 12 or 14 or whatever the number is, that it's reduced a little bit. So every season ticket account can have an opportunity to, to be in the games. To be at the games uh, this year, and remember, Purdue only has six home games. Uh, you know, this is going to be a trend through the next five years. I think for the next five years, they have six home games. You know, that's that's going to be a stress on the uh, the, the department financially, uh, and all the things that go along with that. So they're going to have to deal with uh, deal with all those things. Uh, the other thing is, uh, Bobinski said, you know, club seating would probably be uh, reduced capacity, but they're looking at opening the suites right now at full capacity just because those you know people that come to the suites are, you know, them uh, you've interacted with them. They're invited guests uh, and they would probably be more comfortable going to a suite instead of sitting next, sitting outside next to people they don't know. Uh, so that that's the thinking on that. You know, I can't, uh, that you know that was one of my main questions. Are you let people inside in an environment where you know if you've you listened to the, the the scientists and the medical experts, uh, the virus uh, doesn't spread as quickly outside. I guess unless ten thousand people are protesting in New York City, then I think it probably spreads as it spreads. But indoors, it, it moves it moves probably a little bit quicker. Because you know, basically, it has nowhere to go except to another human being. Um, so, I was a little surprised that they're gonna they're gonna do that, but you know, it's something that uh, they're planning on uh, right now, and we'll see if that that ends up uh, ends up happening. Uh, the deadline for all this is probably um, the middle of August, where they can push it and. Still allow people to make plans. You know, Purdue's first home game is, se- is scheduled for September twelfth. So, in the way that, you know, now that they don't they don't print tickets anymore, it's all mobile. It's all it's on your phone. Uh, things you can get things done a lot quicker. You don't have to print ticket, mail it. Hope the hope the mail gets there type of thing. I mean, I, I like the old ticket. I like to have the old ticket uh, when I go to games, but. You know that's just that's the era we're in right now, um, but those are some things that are that are happening with Ross Aid Stadium. You know they were a little bit more clear on the on the capacity issue and some other things after Mitch Daniels uh, said what he said uh, in front of the U.S. Senate Committee uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, you know I, I think uh, uh, you know Daniels uh, probably spoke at the low end as far as what Purdue wants to plan for, and I think uh, that number is closer to 50% than 25%. You know, I think that's what Purdue is hoping on. And I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, one one thing you need to look for as far as what this all may look like for college football and maybe Purdue is what happens with the Indy 500. You know, right now that that event is scheduled for uh, sometime in the middle of August. Uh, Penske, who, who took over ownership of the Speedway, uh, wants to have a full house. Uh, Now, will health officials and government officials allow them to do that? I mean, let's say that they do. I mean, I I think that opens the door for uh, college stadiums to have, in Indiana at least, to have as many as they want. If you're going to put 300,000 people in Indianapolis, uh, why can't you put 50,000 people in ross Aid or 40,000 people at IU or why can't Notre Dame have a full house? If you're going to do that now, you could probably put 100000 in the Speedway and socially distance them to a point where it works. Um, to me, I, I still don't know if – I have a hard time seeing the Speedway full in August for the 500. Now, I don't believe they're going to allow fans for the brickyard uh, but you know, I think Penske is determined to try to get fans, as many fans as he can, uh, in the Speedway for the 500. That would be a huge step. I think it would be a positive step as far as uh, sports coming back the way that we know it. But that's just something to watch. I think I think you need to keep an eye on that and how that evolves over the next uh, month or so. Um, and I think that whatever happens there could open the door for what happens. At Rossade and, and and around uh, the state, uh, story up on jconline.com right now. Dealing with the, the athletic budget, uh, uh, Boaminsky had to had to cut ten million dollars out of it. So uh, they were projecting a revenue of one hundred three million. Now it's only ninety three million, and along with that, uh, they've had to you know they they've been cutting expenses as well. It's trying to figure out how they can make this all work. And again, there's a lot of unknowns about all this. Uh, Right now, there's no... University has not announced any furloughs or pay cuts uh, or layoffs or anything like that. And either has the athletic department. But, you know, you can be certain these things are being talked about and have been modeled to see how it's going to look. I mean, Purdue is right now going to forecast for $10 million less. That may be the right number. It may be... It may be too high, it may be too low. I think a lot of it depends on what the college football season eventually looks like and also uh, what college basketball season looks like. You know, I think more people are worried about putting fans in Mackey Arena and other venues uh, as opposed to the outdoor venues. And if you have to have a year of of no fans at Mackey or at least reduced capacity – uh, that's gonna that's gonna take a hit financially so uh, the ten million dollar figure is going to be something that moves a lot uh, throughout the year and it's all gonna it's all gonna depend on uh, really how many fans you can get in there in into each of your venues. Uh, if you can play the games, that's a huge chunk of revenue for Purdue and other schools because you're dealing with the TV rights and the media. Uh, the media money that, that comes with that. And, and for Purdue, when you're looking, you know, if you go back and look at a $103 million operating budget, you know, Purdue, you know, more than half of that comes from television and media rights. And it really, it really, you know, Purdue needs, needs a full season in basketball and football to, uh, to help make its budget work, you need the you do need the ticket sales, yeah, you need and you need the concessions and you need everything that comes along with, with the games. But the major piece is that TV uh, media rights that Purdue needs and really all the other Big Ten schools need as well. When you know Ohio State has a bigger budget, they have more sports, they have more student athletes, but they're they're still relying on the, you know, the forty-five to fifty million dollars in TV money, that's going to flow through. You know, they need that just as well. Uh, so that's why there's been such a determination uh, by college athletic directors and conferences to play a football season because of the financial impact of that. And it all goes back to, you know, if we, you know, if if if, if there's not college football season, it's going to hurt the economy. People are going to get furloughed. Uh, Laid off, and the schools already doing pay cuts. Purdue's trying to avoid it, Uh, but it you know it just there's a trickle down effect. There's not this is not a to me it's not a greed thing. It's more of you're trying to preserve as many jobs as you can. Uh, And Purdue has a lot of jobs. I mean it's it's payroll uh, for salaries and benefits and wages going into 2019-20 was uh 41 million dollars it, that's by far their biggest expense uh in the athletic department uh so you're trying to preserve all that money as you can because it gets out in the economy and it helps the economy uh but there there are changes uh that probably at some point will have to be made you know in our business we've been doing furloughs for uh we've had off and on furloughs for for 10 years more probably more than 10 years and you know you know, it, it it's the best of a bad situation. Uh, unfortunately, that everybody has to do, but it's it's just it's kind of part of it. But you know, the budget is really going to be something, and I, I would look for adjustments and schedules for uh, sports beyond basketball and football, where volleyball and soccer and then when you get into the winter season with swimming and wrestling and then in the spring with baseball, softball, tennis, and all these, I think you're going to see a more regionalized non-conference season. If if there is going to be a non-conference season, I would not expect that you'll see softball and baseball heading to Florida and to Arizona and to Texas on a weekly basis the first three or four weeks of the season. They may, be, they may get to take one of those trips, but I, I think there's so much belt-tightening uh, around athletic departments that I think you're going to see more regionalized non-conference schedules in a lot of sports. And then I think the Big Ten is working on some models now of what they can do to, to cut expenses, to limit cost, and travel, and all that kind of stuff. I think this is going to be a different year when you look not only football and basketball, but all the other sports are gonna are gonna have to uh, do do some different things. Uh, it's just the way it's going to be. This is now, to me, this is about survival financially. And if somehow you can pull this off from a financial standpoint uh, during this uh, next school year, you know I think you come out better better on the other side. Uh, men's basketball is back. Uh, they'll start their voluntary workouts. They'll get tested starting Monday. Uh, have not heard of any positive tests coming out of football, but Purdue really hasn't been transparent uh, in its plan, how they were going to test and quarantine, although uh, Mike Wabinski addressed it a little bit. Uh, you know, He just said that Purdue's plan is similar to other plans out there where if someone does have a positive test they'll isolate their contact trace um, they'll be quarantined until there's a until there's a negative test but Purdue's been very vague about how they're going to test and that, what happens if there's a positive test uh, with all that so we don't know exactly uh, if if an athlete tests positive how long they're going to be quarantined uh, but this is going to be an expense that all athletic departments have to take on as far as testing and all the expenses that come with that. Uh, So that's, that's really uh, something to watch. I mean, men's basketball, as I said, starts tomorrow. um, As far as trying to get their voluntary workouts going after, after testing women's basketball is after that a week later, and then volleyball at the end of June, uh, women's soccer in July, you might start seeing some other sports return to campus in July uh, cross country really doesn't need to. They can run anywhere and do whatever. But, you know, they're going to work in small groups. Uh, um, they're going to, you know, avoid having contact. They're going to social distance. Uh, they're going to do all the things that are required. You know, and, and, and Purdue, while Purdue has not released its plan or shared its plan, uh, I do believe that the plan, you know, has been looked over. Uh, with all the requirements and precautions taking place. It's just, as I said last time on the podcast, as a public health issue, I think the public uh, needs to know how Purdue is going about it. And uh, not that Purdue is doing anything wrong, but I just think there's a transparency element in a public health crisis to share as much information as you can, you know, while you're protecting uh, the health and safety of of the people involved, and you're not violating any any HIPAA laws or anything like that. But that's you know that's my opinion. And I get a microphone, I get a set. Anyway, uh, as I said, basketball gets going. You know, this is probably going to be the basketball team that you'll see next season. Um, it's it's looking unlikely that uh, they'll add a graduate transfer, although one could pop up. Uh, but you know, it's such a a narrow focus. You're looking for someone that will play backup center minutes, 15 minutes behind Travion Williams. And when graduate transfers leave programs, they're not going to another program to sit on the bench. And you know Purdue's really can't offer anything more than that. It's not. It doesn't want to offer anything more than that. It's looking for a one-year rental guy to come in and help play center, maybe some power forward positions, and. It's just it's hard to find, and, and that person also has to be a good fit from a cultural standpoint with Painter's program, and that just limits the pool. You know, I think Purdue's probably content on, on moving to next season, not having any seniors on the team. Uh, you got three talented freshmen that are coming in, uh, two that we know will play for sure. Now where Zach Edney fits into all this, is he a guy that's still red shirts or um, – can he earn? Can he earn minutes in a backup role? Um, and probably right now, he probably, you know, I, I would think that's the path that Purdue takes, where you try to get some minutes out of him, and you know, whoever else is left on the roster that can help you, you know, you know, plug in there. You know, it'd be nice, you know, if Purdue standpoint this year if that if basketball had a similar rule to football where you could play x number of games but still keep your redshirt year. Uh, as you know, football has that uh, four-game uh, situation where basketball doesn't have it. I think basketball coaches would love to have it, and this would be a perfect situation for Purdue to get Zach Edney out there and see what he could do and make it a determination whether he could really help them this year or is he better off just You're making a longer-term decision instead of the short-term, similar to what Painter did with uh, Mason Gillis and Brandon Newman. Both those guys are going to be ready to go this year, so – in essence Purdue has five newcomers uh, on this year's team and how they, how they progress and develop and mature uh, during these summer workouts. And and as you get ready for uh, the season to start, will be, uh, will be really interesting watch. Purdue's not going on the overseas trip, as you know, Uh, that was going to be a big deal uh, just to get guys playing together. But, you know, but if you go back to early April, Painter was really worried about the freshmen not being here, not being able to interact, not being able to to get going with their careers because the summer is such a such a huge part of of getting uh, newcomers acclimated to to programs. But now that has changed, where it won't be exactly like pre-virus situation, but it'll be good enough, I think, to 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 really. Uh, Uh, help this team moving forward Uh, on jconline.com right now there's a zoom interview with Ethan Morton uh, that uh, I did with him uh, last week Uh, if you want to take a look at that there's also a zoom interview with Sasha Stefanovich that's still on the website uh, that we did a couple weeks ago and a story on Zach Edney just kind of his journey and his travels uh, throughout his athletic career uh, to get to and now he's in a position at Purdue where he can probably settle in for a few years and not have to worry about you know changing schools, changing countries and all that uh, kind of stuff. So there's a lot of Purdue content on on jconline.com if you want to uh, go there to, to get caught up on what's going on. Well we appreciate you stopping by for, for this podcast as I said uh, on furlough next week so the earliest that we'll be back with another podcast. Uh, will be uh, what's today? The fourteenth. So June twenty second would be the earliest if if that. But anyway, comments, questions, suggestions, um, hot takes. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on email, or just hit me up in general. However you however you want to do it. Again, appreciate you stopping by. And until next time, have a good day, and enjoy enjoy your summer.